0: this particular episode, we are going to give you a three-hour episode. No, you greedy MFers. It's not going to be three hours. Eh, hour and a half-ish. Uh, but on this particular episode, oh, I know a certain someone who may or may not have a toenail fungus who will be very excited to hear that we are going to the rings of the Japanese women. Yes, as it is Shigusa Nagoyo, <laughs> which may or may not be the subject of some... Uh, a debate here coming up, uh, and lioness Asuka taking on Bull Nakano and Condor Saito from October of 1987. It was one of my top 100 of the 80s. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be offering up, oh, Barry, best 70s thrillers. And besides all that, because we're nothing if not what? We're givers. Thank you. We are givers. We're gonna offer up a second top ten list. We're very. Let me just ask you before I give away. Sure. Do you like it? Are you a bath guy or a
1: shower guy? You you just asked me this recently, uh, and I think during the segment is when you asked me, <laughs> I which makes sense. Spoiler right? alert. Spoiler. I uh, I think I think bath is. I think they're disgusting for the most part. I think you're bathing in your Much own like scale. Cosmo
0: Kramer, you don't like sitting in a, a lukewarm or tepid. Uh, a body of water with your own filth. <laughs> no, right? I that do not. You? Yeah. <laughs> so we're offering up top 10 shower scenes. No, schivo. we're not talking porn. That's for the Patreon uh, network uh, content. We'll offer up our top 10 shower scenes in pornography. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, Barry. There is this thing called pornography. Anyway, what? we're offering up our top 10 mainstream movies that feature a very well known shower scene. Again, we're givers. We're gonna be talking. Oh, Barry Rose is gonna get on his high horse and talk about an upcoming event of a fan fest nature, not to be confused with, in fact, the greatest fan fest ever, which is in Lutz, Florida, eh, semi annually. No, we're gonna be offering up another person trying to glom onto Penzer's baby. Oh, and Barry's, uh, you know, so we got that. Barry, what do you say? Are you ready to go? Or are you ready to talk a little match of the week?
1: I'm fired up. The hell voice was that? I don't know. That was my, that's my, if Tommy Rich, uh right. I
0: don't know. You
1: got to say like, you got to go
0: like that Someone Somebody, say something about fired up. Barry, always nice to give back to our listeners, especially certain listeners who love nothing more than going back to the latter part of the 1980s and seeing a great all Japan women's match. I hear there are some people out there that just love that shit, Barry.
1: (laughs) Well, it's the best part is even though the comment that you're kind of implying or referring to right there was meant as an insult to us and our show and our listeners we have, as usual, embraced it, and uh, we like to joke about it. Look, let's be honest. Uh, There's some women that are attractive in this match, right? <laughs> like, let's. But here's the odd thing. So, what, let's talk about the match, right? And do you want to? Do you want to give us yes. the, the? Why, why don't All I right. actually give the match? <laughs> All right, that's a good idea.
0: We are going to October 1987, my top 100 of the 80s, as we have the Crush Girls. She, Chiu- uh, the old Chigusa Nagoya, or as Barry calls her, Chigasa, uh, Nagoya and Lioness Asuka taking on Bull Nakano and Condor Saito. It is from the venerable Corican Hall, one of my top 100 of the 80s. Barry, tell the folks what you thought of this match involving
1: Chigasa. Well, can I, yeah. the first thing I'm going to say is you just yep. pronounced her name correctly. And so one of the notes I was making for myself, and I did make a lot of notes on this match is, how do you fucking pronounce her name correctly? Now, if you listen to the announcers, it's Chigusa. And it's, and we've always done it as Chigusa. And Lioness Asuka, if you listen, is Lioness Asuka. But if you
0: listen to the throngs of teenage girls, what do they say? They, they are absolutely chanting
1: Chigusa chigusa well, well how do you do a chant where you go chigusa you can't you gotta well, because it it's up. incorrect anyway, it's not just, listen to the announcer and i got this look i don't have and and i'll and i'll give you this you were born i'm sorry in japan. i'm sorry by the way tell me when you
0: met chigusa
1: well you should be saying tell me when you were born in japan because i wasn't well you i were. was there and i met her with a right well jeff and this is what we'll journalist. do absolutely we will will look at this and we'll say, you know what? We know, meaning you, better than the television announcer who was commentating on this match. I'm willing to go that, that you actually know the correct way, and he's wrong. Well, just tell us on that.
0: Tell us how you correctly pronounce it. Sam Munchnick.
1: <laughs> like Sam, like, well, like you've been saying for 260 plus episodes. Go ahead. I'm just it's ready. Sam Munchnick there's no but but again you may be hearing but i'm just saying chigusa's name was it, the way the the television comment you wanted to take a shot at me the the okay. television yeah you <laughs> you're the one that said it the television announcer is the one calling her chigusa now i again i got no idea if it's chigusa chigusa or whatever i'm going off of what the announcer said because he seems like the guy that would know i mean that that seems like well, a, you're a also giveaway.
0: hearing the japanese pronunciation of a word we're trying to basically, uh, Americanize here.
1: Well, and that's it. And that's and, I think and that Tell us did.
0: again how much Japanese you speak.
1: I, well, uh, I can speak about four words. What's that? Japanese. Besides sayonara. Uh, domo arigato. Yeah. I could say, uh, ichiban.
0: Yeah. Okay. Thank you. There uh, you go. Uh, tell me, uh, what do you call, uh, domo arigato, Mr. Roboto. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Getting back to this match as we were because we want toenail fungus to get a stiffy and get out the hand cream. Tell us what you thought about this match.
1: Yeah, and it's I it's it's definitely a great match. The first thing that comes to mind when I see this match, there were actually a lot of thoughts come to mind. One was the heels in, in a lot of ways look less intimidating than the baby faces. And I say that because when you look at Chigusa, Chigusa, and you look at Lioness, they look, uh, they're, they're similar build. They're both, uh, you know, I guess maybe a little shorter, squat, got a little extra weight, short haircuts. They look pretty tough and there's no, especially Lioness, you look at her face and, uh, there's no smiling. There's no, she looks like somebody who came to kick your ass. And then you look at the, at the heels, and the heels are kind of attractive looking in their own way. And I got to tell you, Condor Naito uh, – it's Condor Naito, is that right? Saito. Condor Saito. She reminds me of a girl that you would have like split a Mickey's Big Mouth with in a trailer park uh, <laughs> years ago. <laughs> <There's>, but that's <laughs> – yeah, but I mean, that's a compliment. That's the other part too. That's not a knock. Like she just looks like, she looks like she would have been with John McAdam in, uh, in that, what, the, what movie do we always tease him about? Dazed and Confused. She okay. looks like, she looks like a Japanese version would, of a teen. Would John
0: have been wearing his clothes from Chess
1: King? He would have been wearing his clothes from Chess King, talking about girlfriends and, uh, in witchies, but they, the, the heels, to me, the heels kind of look attractive and the baby faces look just frightening to me. Well, uh, let's be candid. Uh,
0: at the time this match took place in 1987,
1: uh, there had
0: been a bit of a change in the look of the two ladies, uh, the crush gals. They had been real teeny bopper, kind of, uh, you know, like, uh, short, short hair, but not like kind of like crew cut short like it almost is here. And, as, uh, you know, I've said before, as Shigusa became more enamored with the persona, I don't know if she was enamored with him or not, but the persona that Akira Maeda was presenting in the UWF and in a New Japan, she started, you know, like dressing a lot more like him. She had the, the boots that went up to her knees. She was doing a lot more like kicking, like, uh, almost like Muay Thai kicking. Uh, and you know, she was still doing some suplex and stuff. But the whole, like, Japanese version of the Partridge family and the Osmonds, wow, that's a really dated reference, uh, you know, was no longer there, and they became much more like, they look like fighters.
1: And that's probably, and that's it, because they really do. They look like a couple of badasses, and uh it's interesting. So one thing that also caught my eye was the, I'm assuming he was an American. There's a, an American at the announce table doing commentating, speaking fluent Japanese. Do you catch that? I did. How did he pronounce Chigusa? Anyway, he I'm he gonna... went Chigusa, <laughs> just like you did. <laughs> so who is this guy? He has blonde hair. I have hair. no idea. All right. So this is interesting. So I immediately am I'm like, this guy is as Caucasian as we are. Uh, maybe even more. How is he so fluent? I mean that he can just commentate on a match. This guy literally completely fluent in Japanese, which is really impressive. I Google to find out can't find out who he is. But I did find one thing interesting. And Look this is going to do research. I'm proud attempting. So did you know that a guy on the AEW Spanish announced team last year was fired? For making fun of Hikaru Shida's accent? I had not heard that story. So I don't read The Observer any longer, and I would think this was probably covered, uh, but this didn't, I don't remember this getting any press. Anyways, a guy named Willie Urbina who I think had done commentary for several promotions was the, uh, with Alex Abrahantes, who is the annoying cheerleader guy that comes out with, uh, Penta and Ray Phoenix, uh, Thunder Rosa and another young lady. This was the Spanish announce team and he apparently were, was mocking the accent of Ikara Shida on air, uh, happened during a commercial break, but the the microphones were on. And uh, not to say he was immediately fired right after. I had never heard that story. So I thought that was interesting. But well, I'm sure is-
0: Dave covered it because if you uh, believe everything you read on Twitter, Dave is on the payroll of AEW, at least that's what the.
1: Which I, I just I find that uh, because for years there were so many. Crit- look, there's a lot of criticisms towards Melter and maybe some are valid. Uh, but at the same time there were times when he's been on the payroll of every promotion where the accusations are out there. So definitely find it kind of ridiculous, Uh really good match. What I liked about this match, this is what I think was a strength of all Japan women as well. Jeff was the booking and there was so much thought given to the booking. Let me, this is another question I had. I had so many questions during this match. What was the relationship between all Japan and all Japan women's wrestling? Any idea? I don't think there really was any, uh, that I know of because,
0: uh, I believe at this point in time, culturally speaking, women's wrestling was sort of looked down on, especially by the, by the men's promotions. Now I will say when we got into the, uh, earlier part of the nineties and into the mid nineties, they were cross promoting, not necessarily with all Japan or new Japan, but I know they were, you know, like wing. And uh, maybe FMW, uh, some of those groups they were doing cross promotion with. So it wasn't like every male promotion, uh, you know, like sort of disassociated themselves from that, you know, I, and it's like, I think this might be apples and oranges, but it's sort of like a, a classic rock station that doesn't want to acknowledge the latest pop song, you know, uh, no matter how popular it is, they, they don't want to acknowledge it and as, no matter how popular the All-Japan women were, and they weren't as nationally popular as maybe the All-Japan guys or the New Japan guys, but they certainly, as you can obviously see from this match, they definitely had a cult audience that was incredibly, incredibly
1: rabid. Well, I've never seen, and to that end, I've never seen an audience like that, too. So if you look, and there are some great scenes, uh, and you, when you listen to the chants as well, these are all young girls. I mean, yeah, there are men in the audience. I guess in hindsight, that that's an interesting uh, thought in some ways that you would have maybe grown men and then you've got a bunch of 15-year-old girls running around. But at the same time... They had cheerleaders. There's, there's a section that I don't think no, it's the they, only. They all had
0: pom poms.
1: They, they all had pom poms. There's 100, like a hundred of 100. them too. That's the other yeah. thing. Yeah. This is not, you know, this is unheard of in my opinion. And it's the, the devotion, the passion. It's just something else. The reason I asked, too, is that because the promotion was called All Japan Women's Wrestling, it, it just said to me, like, wait a minute, you know, they didn't just say Japanese women's wrestling. They went All Japan. So uh, I just always wondered what Baba's thought or Mrs. Baba's thoughts were on that. First Fall is great. Lasts about five seconds, I believe, which I think was great because it catches everybody right off guard. Chigusa, Chigusa. I'm going to call her Nageo, right? Is that it? <laughs> I just, I'm gonna. That might be the easiest way to go with this. She does a belly to back suplex, and I got to say, some of her suplexes are out of this world. She does a belly to back suplex and literally wins the fall. I don't know within the first five to ten seconds of the match, the heels come back and they win the uh, they win the fall quickly. It, it's it was in. A, I'm sorry, I'm getting David Penzer texting me. It, it's, it, amazing. Are we breaking K-Fabe on some uh, FanFest news? Yeah, he's pissed off about the guy in Charlotte trying to copy our now we're going to get to
0: that story. <laughs> oh, <okay.
1: laughs> oh, you're holding off for that. We're just trying to get me all revved up. But it the second fall happens really equally as quick. Uh, and I should say, too, it is the heels that win the first fall. The baby faces win the second fall. They come right back to win it. There's a great moment, too, when Lioness is down. She's down. She's out. And Chigusa comes over and just slaps the shit out of her to wake her up. And that's how it's taken. It's not taken as that she's turning on her partner. It's like to wake her up. Uh, this match goes probably an additional 20 minutes past these two falls, which is great. And I love the fact that it is. It's one fall within the first 10 seconds, the second fall, probably within the first minute, and then we don't see that third and deciding fall till the very end. Solid match all the way through. Another kick I got out of this, and I I really enjoyed this match for a bunch of different reasons. This is not an edited production either, so we are getting the full commercials from Japan Television, and I got to tell you, they're fantastic, just a lot of fun, but this one, huge thumbs up.
0: So a couple of things, uh, real quick. Condor goes into the match, obviously banged up. She's got the, uh, the shoulders wrapped up. You can see that. And you know, Barry, what I realized as I was watching this match, this match literally as of in a couple of days here and there, 35 years ago. Oh, wow. And as I've said before, for all the advancements, whether it's WWE, uh, whether it is, uh, AEW, whether it's uh, – what's what's the group over there that I always kid Greg Good is that, that he loves?
1: Stardom. Oh, uh, Stardom.
0: Stardom. You know, I, I'm sorry. I don't see anything happening, and I'm sure Greg will now come on and give a huge rant uh, on the board. I don't see anything that's going on today, 35 years later, that's better than this. Now, I will also offer up the fact that for a match that's a top 100 match, uh, in my opinion, the first mm, – 10 to 12 minutes are good. I don't know if they're great. They're good. However, about the last seven or eight minutes of the, of the match, it, it's like, boy, howdy. Remember, did you ever read Cream Magazine, Barry? Oh howdy. yeah. And holy shit, like, you know, the, le- I'm going to start using all these different rock euphemisms. Uh, when the levy breaks, Barry, cause it, it just breaks and, the last seven or eight minutes of this match are just like, I was like going, holy shit. I mean, they were just doing incredible maneuver maneuver after incredible maneuver. And the other thing, uh, you know, we mentioned the rabid nature of the crowd. Please, it, when we post a link on this, even if you're not a fan of this kind of wrestling, uh, you're not into the Japanese women at all, watch a few minutes just to see the fan interaction. The girls are all wearing these satin jackets. They're all doing the pom-poms. Like it's a friggin' high school basketball game or a college basketball game. And, you know, it just it's really intense how into the match they are. I also realized, Barry, we were a couple of weeks away from a certain young booker arriving in Japan. This extended tour of the subcontinent, Barry. Yes, because I arrived the latter part of November, and here we are in October of 1987. Ooh, good times were had by all. So, uh, and we got Bull Nakano getting lots of near falls before she ends up, uh, losing the match. And there was one that was so close that literally, I don't know if you caught this, Barry, you can hear the audience hold their breath and there's a gasp because they think uh, Chigusa got pinned. And, you know, like I was like, wow, that that's really kind of incredible that you literally can hear the audience hold their breath at the, at the thought of, you know, that, uh, you know, their hero, Shigusa is getting pinned and, and I was wrong it was uh, it was lionist by the way that pulled that penned bull after a giant swing. So I wanted to, before we uh, move on from this match I wanted to ask you a compare and contrast Barry because I know that you have uh, seen a good deal of uh, Japanese women's wrestling. so compare to me what do you like better? Do you like the stuff from say 85 to 87? The Crush Girls, the Dump Masamoto, uh, that kind of stuff, or are you more of a fan of the '92 to '94 Manami Toyota, Akira Hokuda, Aja Kong, Toshio Yamada, that kind of stuff? What would you say?
1: Oh man, put me on the spot. How do you? That's like saying, uh, do you like Zach or Zoe better, right? It, well, well, yeah, well, right, and, yeah. uh, and I love them equally, but when it comes we won't, to, we won't tell Zach, <laughs> we will, <laughs> when we come to this types of, this type of wrestling, <sighs> so the wrestling was better with, in my opinion, the wrestling might've been a little bit better with the next generation over this, which is Akira, Kuda, etc. However, I think the fans and I think their fan base was a lot more rabid with this group.
0: And that's absolutely very fair in part because as they began to cross promote with other promotions, guess who started coming into the audience? Men. And, you know, it wasn't strictly the the young teenage girls uh, predominantly at the show. They were still showing up, but they weren't showing up in mass to where they were like, literally ninety-five percent of the crowd during that uh you know the crush girls uh the height of their powers during the ninety two to ninety four run that I mentioned, better matches, definitely you could make that argument. Uh many people have said that Manami Toyota is the greatest female wrestler of all time. I have no problem with that argument. You could also say uh uh, Akira Hokuta, Bull Nakano, uh Aja Kong, etc. But Chigusa, the way that she was just insanely over And it wasn't just she was insane. Like Hulk Hogan was insanely over, but then the bell rang, you know, and it was kind of like, okay, okay, we're not doing much, not doing much. Leg drop, let's go home. And the difference was Chigusa was having really good matches that were full of tons of drama, really good action, great drama, insane crowd reactions, and it made for a really, really fun product. And it's a product that, quite frankly, I think I enjoy better because the product was so much fun. Now you show me a match from 92, 93 or 94. I'm going to sit there and say, it's a fucking hell of a match, man. Those Marine pad shows from the Tokyo dome. Yeah. They were fucking off the charts. Amazing. And they, they drew bigger crowds. No question about that. Uh, you know, they were drawn uh Tokyo dome. Uh, it wasn't like they were getting two, 3000 people in the Tokyo dome. They were getting legitimately, I think like in the 30,000 range, so obviously they broaden their horizons. They had bigger crowds, uh, more diverse crowds, but still there's that something that made me miss that completely insane reaction that they would get at Cork hall when there was only like, say 2,000, 2,500, maybe 3,000 max.
1: And holy shit. It was just lots of fun, Barry. Again, again, that's, th- this is all extremely valid is that, uh, it, while I think the wrestling got better and there was somebody had a post today and I forget where on social media somewhere and I forget where I saw it and what it was, but it was basically saying, does a great crowd elevate? lesser wrestling product. And and you and I have gone over this. You know, I, I've been in the audience of shows where the matches were maybe at best one star if we're using a star scale, but because the crowd was so rabid, I'm having the best time ever. And look, even that indie show that we went to at the last CWF Legends Fan Fest, there were a couple of good matches actually, but there were some other matches where these were young guys just kind of getting in the business. They're still green, but we had such a great time made for one of the best wrestling experiences I probably have had in years. I have been to uh, shows where Meltzer or fans might have rated matches three and four stars. And I'm like, yeah, I'm bored because the crowd is quiet. They're sitting on their hands. So a great crowd makes it. Let me run this also by you because I was thinking about this today, especially as I was watching this match. And there is a bias towards women's wrestling in this country and I'm talking about fans with I guess the thought process being that professional wrestling when it comes to women is only TNA and I say that because I had a conversation with somebody as well as the lovely Linda was right there and there we were having a conversation and this person who I will not mention by name at least on the air but I'll tell you Jeff privately but this person said I don't watch women's wrestling I can't get into it all they do is want to show their tits and ass etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. and I said well that that's fair if you were watching WWE in the in the uh the early part of uh the decade you know or whatever but it, women's wrestling has evolved over the decades, and if you ever go and you watch Japanese women's wrestling, and I stated that, I said it's a complete, it's an athletic contest and it's completely viewed totally different than we do in the U.S. And the person shot back, yeah, I don't think I ever will. I'm just I I can't take it. And then, of course, Linda said, is all women's wrestling like that? And I said, no. I said, that's one person's kind of skewed, flawed, and biased opinion towards women's wrestling. And it's not fair. Yes, if you're doing lingerie and bra panty matches and that shit that the Federation did, that's one thing. But look, AEW puts on what about What
0: about the mud pit matches that W uh world class used to do uh, back in the day
1: and that's and that's and that's also really fair because uh you know even I don't even WCW wasn't putting on high quality women's wrestling and, and I think at some point the WWE flipped over though they still put on matches that are not good with women. But they do have some women's wrestlers that are very good. AEW's got some women's wrestlers that are very good. And there's a ton on the independent scene. Japan, of course, has led professional wrestling with women's wrestling. I think forever, you know, our champion was Mula for years while, you know, look, Mula would have been eaten alive within the first four seconds of any time she would have stepped in a ring in Japan if it was a shoe contest. So, uh, but what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on, and I'll encapsulate my 20 minutes of rambling, your thoughts on people that pigeonhole women's wrestling as nothing more than TNA. So when Javorski said that, um, it wasn't Javorski. God. Good guess, though. I uh, tried, to, tried to. I know. Good guess. Out there. So here's
0: the thing. I have said before that on the AEW show that I'm a big fan of Britt Baker. Okay. I love her character. I like the stuff she does. She cuts a great promo. But I don't think we should be blind to the fact that, you know, she goes out there with kind of a revealing outfit. Now, am I going to complain? No. Uh, you know, quite frankly, I enjoy the outfit she wears, but you know, as good as she can be in the ring, do they need to do that whole TNA thing with Britt Baker or is she above that? What say you?
1: Ah, I like that. So with a caveat, she's above it. Does it add to, to who she is? to wear an outfit like that. And I think, to your point, I I think she could probably wear the long tights and get away with it. I I don't think it's imperative. But I noticed that, and Jamie Hayter, who I don't know if you've noticed, she has lost some weight. She is now wearing what appear to be matching outfits with Britt Baker. She is doing it as well. And it's like you're talking about the wedgie. They literally hike it up the butt as much as they can.
0: And just for our beloved listeners, trust me, we're not complaining,
1: but you can't blindly
0: say they're going out there trying to put on this athletic contest. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to say mula-esque, but you know, okay, Japanese-esque, because you know, there's really, at least for the all-Japan women, you know, Akira Hokuta, uh, okay, I'll I'll make it Manami Toyota. Manami Toyota was a beautiful woman. Akira Hokuta is a great wrestler. I don't know if she was. Really a gorgeous woman. Sorry. I'm just gonna say that. Manami Toyota was a maybe the greatest wrestler of all time, and she was also absolutely beautiful. Okay. But she would go out there, she would do all the suicide dives, she would do all the suplexes, and she wasn't going out there letting her boobs hang out or you know, stuffing the uh the, the swimsuit or or whatever up her ass crack. She was great on her own. She didn't need to do that. So if that's the case. Does Britt Baker really need to do that? Has she gotten to the point where she still needs to do that? Now, maybe there's another lady on the card. I'm not going to say uh, you know anybody in particular, but maybe to help them get over, they need to do a little more of the jiggle stuff. I don't know. And the problem is, is for over 40 years, that is what Vince McMahon taught us that women's wrestling was, and therein, in this country, lies the problem bear.
1: Yeah, and that's and look, that's that's accurate and it's fair. And professional wrestling, when it came to women's wrestling, and I'm talking prior to the expansion. When I think you know, that's when Vince, uh, and even then, he didn't jump on that right away. I think that took it had to go into the '90s before, and then Vince realized, okay, I've got a young bunch of uh, a horny young men watching this show. Why not put some Jiggle out there and it'll increase ratings? So from a business standpoint, yes, we understand it. But for years, the women that we saw, let's and let's look at the women's wrestling prior to the expansion on a territorial level. Ilani Kai, Joyce Grable. Uh, Wendy Richter, who did not make Martin. it to the big, to the great Judy Martin, uh, obviously Moolah uh, that we talked about, Winona Littlehart, but Susan Green, there were some great wrestlers, but these women were not put in a position to wear bikinis or they weren't showing you uh, their ass crack. At least it was uh, unintentional if it occurred. So it, while they were putting women out there, they weren't over-sexualizing them while they were doing it. Vince obviously took the ball and I think changed the game in this country because everybody at that point, all the women, they went from women who looked like, you know, uh like Mula in a sense, uh, to women who looked like Britt Baker and, and then some. And, and Vince obviously took a lot of women who had no business being in a ring, gave them minimal training, uh, and then put them in a ring. And we saw this for years, for years. It just, I, I think for me, and I understand why, why, why somebody has that opinion of, uh, you know, I'm not going to watch women's wrestling because it's not it's not a real athletic contest. By the same token, you know, you can debate that when it comes to the men as well. But I I just think if you're if you're going to pigeonhole women's wrestling and all women's wrestling and you wouldn't watch a match from all Japan women, which Odds are, was better than anything taking place in the U.S. At that point, you're doing yourself a disservice, Jeff.
0: Yeah, and let's be honest, it's not like the Japanese women that you're going out there, you know, like we'll we'll post a match. It's not like you're going to sit there and go, "Wow, this woman is really fugly. You know, I I mean, there are some nice-looking women. There are some women that are more athletic. There are women in this country that are nice-looking women that can wrestle. Then there's also women that are, uh, dare I say, a little more athletic-looking. That's a nice way of putting it. And, you know, they they can both work. I mean, hell, let's be fair. There are guys that get over because they're good-looking guys. Then there's guys that get over not so good-looking, but they're great wrestlers. I mean, you know, it's not mutually exclusive uh, to only females or only males, bear.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. But but I think we can say, too. And, you know, that was the funny thing with the guys is that, uh, you know, and look, we've heard stories about the Rock and Roll Express and and how the fan base in the Carolinas went from, you know, and I don't know what the exact numbers were, but let's say 90 percent male in the arenas to maybe 70 percent male, meaning there was an increase of of women fans by like 300 percent so well, and famously jerry jarrett is
0: reported to have said to bill watts we're all blowjobs that's you know, right you don't have any women here uh because you don't have anyone that attract women i, I don't know i guess dr death steve williams wasn't seen as a heart throb. <laughs> but uh you know i mean it's just honestly it's like the uh the cwf legends fan fest let's be honest you got you and you got Penzer, and we all know the ladies are coming there because of Dave let's Well,
1: know. that's true. I don't want to – uh yeah. And, and, hey, on that note, Jeff, November the 5th of this see, year – You see the way we just streamline oh, yeah. that segue right in there? Oh, yeah. Happy to say we have – uh we announced this past week, which we did on the show, but it was – Brawls, brews, and Bad Street USA, and uh. By the way, yeah.
0: I did not get that email. I, I saw you posted, oh, uh, if you're going, you're going to get an email.
1: Uh, so right, Jeff. You can, uh, Jeff, if I, if I may correct, if I may correct you, if you had purchased a ticket, we send an email out. If you did not purchase a ticket, there was no email being sent out. <clears throat> what are you trying to say there? I'm trying to say you didn't purchase a ticket because generally you're my partner. So you don't purchase it. So, and I'm also, I should also say I'm not running this event. This is not mine. This is with one of our partners, two of our partners who is uh, Ben James. Everybody knows Ben has been a huge supporter of our fan fest over the last few years. He wanted to do something. So Ben uh, is responsible for Jimmy Garvin in this event and obviously Sean Davis who was at uh, the last event where we all went and had such a great time at that show. But this is pretty exciting. I'm excited. I'm happy for Ben because the response has been great. I want to say he's already 50% sold in 24 hours, which is uh, really and its 50 bucks. You get to see a live wrestling show for two hours. You get to sit ringside. <clears throat> all seats are ringside, actually. Uh, it is a full open bar. That open bar will take place back at the hotel for legal reasons. But it is a full open bar, all alcohol supplied by Ben James. And you got a 75 minute Q and A, which is kind of cool, Jeff, because it's going to take place in the ring after the matches. And this is strictly for people that are coming to the fan fest or part of the brothership. And Ben has been a part of the brothership since day one. So kind of exciting. I know I'm excited. I know you're excited. I know Ben's really excited because he paid a shitload of money to get Jimmy Garvin down to Tampa. So Ben is there. the living
0: embodiment of the old expression. If you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. Thank you, uh, Ben for your, uh, your kind courtesy. So, you know, Barry, speaking of the CWF Legends Fan Fest, and you know, the original genesis of this idea was, of course, setting up these fan fest where it could be a interactive experience safe to say
1: yeah that that it was it, you know so and, and for full transparency and clarity penzer approached me it was penzer actually approached me and said hey you've got a facebook group of uh eight thousand people we should put on a fan fest and there had been people in the group calling for a fan fest for years It really wasn't something I wanted to take on. I didn't want added responsibility, so I didn't want to do it. And after the first one, I said, I'm not doing this again. And then a week later, obviously, we've done eight cents. But uh, it's a labor of love. My issue is that I have been to so many different fan fests. And I've been to wrestling fan fests probably – Twenty, I don't know, and, and just run by different promoters, and then I've been to a lot of these fests and, and cons that are either comic cons or put on for horror movies and stuff like that. And I generally, I critique them. I usually do it mentally. If you are unlucky enough to be within earshot, you will hear exactly what I think. Which for most people, it's uh, there's yawning involved. But but with that. I think a lot of it for me was the the way that these things are run, the disservice done to people who spend their money. I have been I, – I don't want to give them a lot of publicity, but a guy with the initials RF that lives in the Philadelphia metro that had some legal issues. I'll pretend you said 18. Many years ago, he's been running FanFest in and around the Philly area for a decade at this point. And I got to tell you, I have a lot of issues – with him personally, obviously, but I have a lot of issues with the way he runs his events and the fact that there's no regard for the ticket buyer. There's no regard whatsoever. It is at times disorganized. It is overpriced. And I love when these wrestling promoters walk around, and I will talk about the other one in a minute, when they walk around and they do a slow walk. They're not overly friendly. And it literally is all about the money. And again, I don't fault somebody necessarily. If you're in business to make, to not make money, you shouldn't be in business. Uh, That was what my father. As a young curly-headed boy, always told me, and I understood that, and I respect that. But at the same time, you have to respect the people that are putting down their hard money. And I'm lucky, Jeff. You're lucky in a sense that we've had great careers. We have some disposable income, etc. A lot of people that show up at these fan fests are working jobs where they're paid maybe 10 or 11 bucks an hour, and they save up months, maybe a year. To even go to one of these. To that end, I kind of feel the respect that you have for these people should be immeasurable. If somebody is saving up for six months or a year, working a job that they hate, just so they can get to a fan fest, we owe it to them to treat them right. And I haven't seen that at a lot of fan fests, and that always bothers me.
0: So, which leads me to my next point, Barry. You uh and David came up with the concept of the CWF Legends Fan Fest, being that initially it was people that appeared in CWF. Oh, Barry, anything going on that we may have seen recently about an upcoming event where they're kind of glomming that idea? Yeah, so that, I'm really that's glad. That's the
1: softball that's up. been thrown into you. Ah, <sighs> All right. So I I don't want to have a full freak out because I certainly had it about uh, 9 a.m. this morning when I saw it. But I woke up this morning. Uh, this had occurred, I believe, late last night. And there is a very large... FanFest that takes place in Charlotte. Now, this is not, I believe, the one that you went to, Jeff, and many people had gone to. That was put on by a guy named Greg Price. And for whatever reasons, uh, and it was very successful, was my understanding. For whatever reasons, Greg Price... A few years back decided that he was going to step away from the fan fest game. I don't know the circumstances. I don't think it was for a lack of interest because again, I heard he was this might have been the most successful fan fest in the country. So that Charlotte lay dormant for a couple of years, nothing was taking place. Then a guy started running and I believe it was the year before COVID hit, which I guess would have been 2019. Two thousand and twenty, COVID canceled. And then I went two thousand and twenty one. So when I woke up this morning, he was announcing a new addition to what he was going to be doing at the next fan fest, the next one that he's running, which is in August of twenty twenty three. And he just ran one, you know, two months ago. Uh, I believe he runs every August. And this one is going to feature cwf and he had a big cwf logo and was basically saying we're going to do a panel to discuss cwf we're going to have a lot of talent that works cwf and we're going to discuss all things cwf
0: what a unique
1: concept well and that was kind of what my take so i the first thing that i've learned to do is when i get mad is i don't I don't immediately lash out. I breathe. <laughs> I think for, because previously I might've just lashed out and I try not to do that now. And I, I breathed. I thought about it. I reread it a couple of times and I was really fucking irritated. So I, I put, and I don't know if you saw my comment because if you didn't, this is more proof that we do have the same sense of humor. I put down as my comment, Wow, what a unique idea. I wonder if this has ever been done before. And immediately, I think people started picking up on it, people that were friendly with and quite a few people, and I want to say these were a lot of brother shippers, jumped in and really started giving this guy shit and praising our fan fest. And I got to say a couple of the people, I don't think had ever been to a fan fest, but it was nice to know that people still had your back. So, I don't know what his knowledge of our events though he and I had discussed them when I was in Charlotte and he then came and said he's not trying to do what we do that this is just going to be a segment of his fan fest and the whole fan fest wouldn't be devoted around it. I was still kind of irritated and I think my irritation also was another guy And I could go off on this guy for about an hour. But there was another guy that I'm quote unquote friends with that said, this guy run, not me, but the guy running the one in Charlotte runs the best fan fest in the country. What a great idea. This is going to be fantastic. So I shot him a message and I said, hey, just as a heads up, I'm a little offended by what you wrote. You're saying this is the best fan fest in the country. You've never been to mine. And we went back and forth. He said, it's my opinion. I said, that's great, but how do you judge me? You've never been. And this is a guy, this is a fan I'm talking about, is a guy that has gone online several times to complain about people within the wrestling industry that he's done business with. And, uh, He'll complain about them vocally and he's got a bit of a rep, uh, in doing that. And, uh, uh, he and I, we went back and forth. I took him to task. He, I think he may think he took me to task as well, but at the end of the day, I was not backing down from this. And, uh, I respect that you want to back your friend, but don't trash talk the other events if you don't know about him. Fuck hole. Uh. <laughs> Respectfully. You can see <laughs> respectfully you could see it starting now where I'm getting you know uh I'm getting a little irritated but I was really irritated at this guy he doesn't listen to our podcast if he did I would call him out by name so that he would he would respond and we could continue but yeah I'm a little irritated with what's taking place in Charlotte next year now again I also realize it's not going to be the entire fan fest around CWF. However, if you're doing a panel on CWF and you're going to have CWF talent, let me clearly remind everyone listening, we did it first and we did it better. And it doesn't matter what takes place in Charlotte, unless they come to me and want to pay me a lot of money to be a part of this, then I take back everything I said, Jeff, because I I can be had if the price is right. But no, I don't see that happening. And the truth is, I don't want to be a part of it because it wouldn't be right. But they're essentially copying our idea. Now, you could say, OK, wait, didn't he do an AWA roundtable? I believe he did. Did he do a world-class roundtable? I think he might have. When you come for Florida and considering the fact that I do a fan fest centered around CWF only and we do three Q&A discussions at every one and we've done 18 so far, that's 24 panels we've done. Is there any wonder why I'm protective? Uh, of this and, and why I'm being a little, why I'm offended by it. So in a nutshell, there was back and forth going on today. People jumped on this guy and it is brother shippers. And again, I'm very, very grateful for that. This guy has yet to reach out to me. And I think that, that might go a long way as well, Jeff. I think had he reached out to me ahead of time and had he said, he's not obligated to, But had he said, hey, this is what we're thinking for next August, what do you think, and how can I do this without infringing on what you do? And that might have gone a long way. Now, he knows that I'm pissed because I commented on his post, and I commented over six hours ago, and I have yet to hear from this guy. I'm assuming I will not hear from this guy. So that that's in a nutshell where i'm at with this i will say he runs a bigger fan fest than i run and this is the same guy that i took to task last year for counting money in the middle of an event when the event was disorganized talent didn't know where to go etc and he's in the back counting his money and you know have you ever seen me well first off i couldn't but Nobody's ever seen me counting stacks of cash at the Fan Fest. Hey, I don't get stacks of cash at the Fan Fest, but I also uh it it's you see me running around like a madman because I'm trying to make sure that everybody who is paid to be there is having a great time because they deserve that. I'm trying to make sure that everything is being run and, and organized correctly. And this guy as I interrupted him when he was counting his money, he was not happy that I interrupted him but again wrestlers didn't know where to go david schultz who we had on our show and he was great threatened to walk out of a q and a and said i don't know if this is where i'm supposed to be and if somebody doesn't fucking get in here and do this i'm walking 5 minutes later ken resnick came in and was able to calm the situation and take care of it but again i can't expect that everybody's going to run a fan fest with the fan being number one. And a lot will tell you that, oh, I do this for the fans, et cetera. Bull fucking shit. You're doing it to make your money. Stop with your bullshit, and nobody's buying it. Except for this one guy that I messaged today and gave a hard time to. I don't see people buying it. So I'm going to wait and see how this plays out, Jeff, over the next few months and see where they who they've got. Supposedly, the date of this recording, They are announcing the first two guests of this panel tonight, and I I am curious to see who they're going to be.
0: Very always a good time to talk about movies and especially movies from the 70s, which is such a great uh, decade for films. I offer you Barry Rose, courtesy of MovieWeb.com, the best thrillers of the 1970s. By the way, Barry, because they want to keep this list concise, it is in fact not a top ten. It is a top six. Are you ready to go? This sounds like fun. Yes. Number six. Holy shit, what a great movie this was. A absolute study of paranoia. Did you ever see Enemy of the State with Will Smith? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, Enemy of the State, which, by the way, is probably my favorite Will Smith movie of all time. It was a really good movie. There was sort of a uh they took a storyline that had been part of a movie from 1974 called The Conversation that was do- done by Francis Ford Coppola. And uh, it involved the character that Gene Hackman played in this movie, who was a wiretap expert. And like, was it uh, 25, 30 years later, they took that character back. And that was the guy that got Will Smith basically out of the mess that he had gotten himself entrapped in by the government operatives. Uh, Barry Rose, your thoughts on the original movie, The Conversation. Boy, that's,
1: that's Brian De Palma, if I'm correct, right? No. Who I is think The it's,
0: Conversation? It's, uh, Francis Ford Coppola.
1: Oh, it's Coppola. Right, yeah. right, right. That, <laughs> another great movie too. And, uh, that was, and when that movie came out, cause we were young when that movie was released though. I re- I remember my parents actually taking me to see it, and me walking out thinking that was the worst movie I've ever seen, <laughs> because you know clearly I had it no. It involved no story.
0: beheadings like your mom and dad usually took you to
1: see. Yeah, yeah, it, right. Or or head spinning around the most profane language and all that, as that was with The Exorcist. But I remember this movie was. Uh, it was my parents also took me to see Patton with George C. Scott. And it was kind of like, you know, and in hindsight, of course I've watched that movie. I don't think it's a great movie, though uh, George, George C. Scott was great. But at the same time, this movie left a negative impression on me in my youth. But I went back and I, I was probably in my early thirties when I watched it and it was, uh, just incredible. I, this was, uh, what, what movie do I have it confused with? Maybe it's Blowout from De Palma
0: good. Maybe. That was that was about a guy that was a uh, uh an audio expert uh in film, That's what it uh, tra- is. That, Travolta played that yes. guy, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I have it I, that's what that's how I got them confused. But right this is Coppola and uh this is a great movie, yeah.
0: Yeah, so he plays uh Gene Hackman plays a guy named Harry Call who is uh tasked with uh bugging uh, somebody's conversation. And then what happens and and very interestingly, Barry, I don't know if you knew this two very minor characters that became uh, pretty big stars in Hollywood, uh, Harrison Ford, one of his first roles and Cindy Williams from Laverne and Shirley. They are the young couple at the beginning of the movie that are out in a, like a square or, uh, in a part of downtown that he kind of eavesdrops on their conversation. Uh, and that kind of sets the whole ball rolling downhill. But, uh, and then, uh, he becomes, uh, involved in this, uh, government cover up. Uh, you know, as they said, this was almost certainly inspired by the whole Watergate scandal, but this study of paranoia at the end where Hackman is convinced that his apartment is bugged and he essentially begins ripping apart his own apartment walls, trying to find surveillance devices that they're using on him. And, uh, it's absolutely uh, crazy. So I will mention that this movie. Uh, was nominated for nearly two dozen awards, uh, and it gets a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, The Conversation. If you've never seen it, it's absolutely fantastic. And especially if you like the Will Smith movie, Enemy of the State, this is sort of a prequel almost to that movie, uh, and that would be a great doubleheader to watch. At number five, Barry, a movie that I've watched, Very recently, I want to say within the last six months, I finally got around to watching from 1972, right towards the end of his career, Alfred Hitchcock gave us Frenzy. Have you ever seen that movie?
1: I have. So another one that my parents took me to as a young
0: kid. Um, What in the heck were Mr. And Mrs. Rose thinking? I mean, really, folks, or or
1: not thinking that's (laughs) pretty much what it what it comes down to, because, yeah, but they took me to see Frenzy. And it is interesting because I don't recall going to the theater and seeing movies that would have been appropriate for a young child. Uh, Movies that, you know, like you're like, I did see Fantasia, which even that you can debate. It's not really for a kid. I mean, it could be boring for a kid. My mother took me to see Love Story, which I remember being in the theater for that. My God, love, was that hor- love horrifically boring. Never having to say you're sorry, Barry. Oh, it was brutal. But uh Frenzy's another one. And again, Frenzy was one of those movies that uh, I watched. I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> I had cluelo- clueless as to what was taking place. Went back probably uh 10 or 15 years later in the 80s. And actually, I think I watched – all Hitchcock films, of course, I had to rent them on a very large VHS that I, I probably went to Blockbuster for. But with that, I did watch it and Frenzy's a fantastic movie. Uh, great cast, great story. And it's, I, I think Hitchcock was such a good director and he had a lot of vision. And you know, certainly the, if you've ever read the story, like about the shower scene in Psycho and the amount of takes, It took to get that right and how many angles apparently the angles were like in the hundreds he just kept moving everything around frenzy also has some of that but hitchcock had a way and and i'm assuming this is a well thought out game plan by him back then was that he was able to get the most out of his actors too like this was a guy that for whatever reason his actors showed up and they did it so frenzy big thumbs up
0: yeah this is a, about a serial killer who's on the loose in london uh it gets a ninety percent on rotten tomatoes. The only bad thing about the movie as far as I can remember uh it, it involves a guy who's like he's a serial killer uh, kills his victims with a necktie and uh the fashion of the early seventies It's a little sketchy. That's all I'm going to say. It doesn't age well, you know. It's like with the James Bond films, the classic, you know, Sean Connery in a tuxedo. And then you see, you know, like uh, 10 years later, you got Roger Moore like in a leisure suit. Eh, It doesn't translate very well uh, to uh, future holding. Number four, Barry, from 1971, Jane Fonda's Clute. Have you ever seen it?
1: I haven't. She plays a prostitute? Yes. Yeah, I saw it. My parents. (laughs) My parents Her didn't parents take me, did me to see. <laughs> of course I should course have just they gone did. with that. Yes, I should have gone with it. My parents did not take me to oh, see. Oh good, it. okay. Yeah, a love story. I saw, and I, I want to say I did see something about I don't know, but no, I. This is one that I caught years later. Uh, I don't remember a lot. I don't remember it being a bad film, so it was decent. Uh, but I don't remember much else than she was a prostitute.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, another movie uh, paranoia. It was nominated for 14 awards uh and I believe Donald Sutherland played uh, the uh, title character uh who's a detective named John Clute and uh he with the assistance of a well-known call girl played by Miss Fonda goes, uh, they, they take on a missing persons case and, uh, then there's murders and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it is said here, a classic take of noir, uh, going into the seventies. Now at number three, Barry, oh, Barry, this is like one of the all-time mm-hmm. classics. Uh, you and I have discussed this film. Uh, we might have to do a, a, a movie of the week and have somebody that's never seen this movie watch it and review it. It is Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro from 1976, Taxi Driver. You talking to me?
1: So you and I reviewed this movie uh, early on. I I, I don't know. if I think we actually reviewed it. I don't know if it was maybe grittiest New York films or whatever it was. But uh, this is I I, I think this is maybe one of the great films of all time. You've got an amazing cast. You have De Niro is fantastic. The the criminally underrated Albert Brooks is in this in a uh, in a nice role. Sybil Shepherd and there's a great scene here, and obviously Jodie Foster, which the movie is really Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel, exact longtime friendship between those two uh and and uh, Martin Scorsese as well. They all three are have been around uh, and working with each other for decades at this point. And I, I I go back to all the scenes and I remember the great scene. Of uh Robert De Niro taking Sybil Shepherd on the first date to a hardcore porn movie, which for some reason always sticks out. But I think this is one well, of are
0: the- you trying to say that women on a first date don't want to be taken to a porno? <laughs> well <laughs> they, oh, figure. they
1: they don't they definitely don't want to go to the porno theaters that used to be in New York City, maybe in your own house or apartment, but uh, uh you know, second date. Completely yeah, appropriate. But first yeah. date, eh you don't think about it. So. not quite sure. And it was that. I But I love this scene where they're having the conversation. And he he realistically is kind of flummoxed. And I don't again, I don't know if we've ever used that word. That's an excellent use of that word, Barry. He's flummoxed the fact that she doesn't want to see the porn movie. And he's like, well, I thought, you know, and it's like, yeah, don't you want to go in and see this? It's very bizarre. But this is a really good movie. And I think. I think the strength of this movie, hey, it's a great, great look at New York, but Robert De Niro makes this character character I don't want to say necessarily likable. What he makes this character is understandable. And even though we I sit there and I go, geez, what's he doing? And what's you know, there's something to it where you could you understand his methods and why he's making and doing these things. And yeah, I know it's a descent into madness, et cetera, but, uh, I, I think this is a great movie. Did you ever see the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix? Yes. I, I thought in my head, there was a lot of, I think there was some taxi driver in that film. I, I think there was some taxi driver. There might've been a little bit of King of comedy in that film, but yeah, those are, those are the two comparisons. Oh,
0: there It's definitely about a, a, a man losing, uh, his faculties, uh, is a very nice way of putting it and slowly descending into, uh, you know, uh, madness. Uh, both films are about that. And you know, uh, one of the scenes that uh, you didn't mention is the, uh, the guy that he picks up in his cab who has De Niro take him, uh, and he parks the car and he's outside and he's looking up. And he's saying my wife's up there, and he begins to describe how his wife's having an affair, and she's up there fucking some guy, and it's right. Scorsese, right? Who's who's the guy in the back of the cab? And you sit there and wonder, you know, you don't ever want a truly great movie. There is nothing frigging worse than a truly great movie getting remade. And it's like there's no fucking reason, you know, like uh, your uh, what do you call it? your Swayze uh film uh, what what do you call uh, oh Roadhouse, Roadhouse is getting remade, and and you know. It, why first of all but if you ever thought about making taxi driver again think about the problematic nature first of all of, of trying to uh recreate all the stuff with the guy slowly uh you know going in a downward spiral into madness and and then the 12 year old prostitute may be a little problematic also because yeah. you know like, Jodie Foster's character was a 12 year old, uh, Iris, I believe her name was. Wow. I can't believe I remember that, uh, who's a prostitute. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, some really sketchy and think about it. We're talking about almost 50 years ago, this movie came out and to think that, uh, you know, that it, it was such a different time that this whole storyline was, was, I, I want to say that this was a story by Paul Schrader. You know who Paul Schrader is? Absolutely. The great yeah. Paul Schrader. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so, oh, I can't recommend Taxi Driver enough, though. That is unbelievable. As is the film uh, on this list that's number two from 1971. Once again, oh, we're back with our old friend Gene Hackman. It is the French connection,
1: Barry. I mean, in this one, I'm positive and uh, we either reviewed or deeply discussed and it might have been the chase scene, which I think we both agree is one of the greatest, uh, chase scenes in the history of, uh, a film. This is such a great movie. Popeye Doyle, uh this movie. And, and who's uh who's is it James Franciosa? Uh,
0: are, or Tony. Is it maybe
1: Tony? Tony, Tony Franciosa. James okay. is his brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. He's got a great supporting cast. And this is a I think this also either made great uh, when we were discussing either the great Car chase scenes or yes, gritty absolutely. New York films. Yeah, and it really is. I I do think the car chase scene because, again, there, there's not really any special effects or anything with that. This is strictly just, you know, just done the way that films used to be. So I I look, I love French Connection. It's a movie that when it's on, I generally will stop and watch whenever it's on one of the, the streaming channels. So a couple things. The character of
0: Popeye Doyle apparently was based on on the real-life exploits of a New York cop, who, by the way, Eddie Egan is the name of the cop that it's based on, and Eddie right. Egan had a role in this film, uh, as did, uh, let's see, Roy Scheider, I believe, played Popeye's partner in this film, the uh, the French guy, I can't remember what the French guy's name was, but he was so, like, just so suave and debonair, and there's a great scene where uh, Popeye's on a stakeout, I think we talked about this and the French guy is like in this very uh, elegant restaurant and he's eating his food with this fine China and it cuts away and you see Popeye in the uh, police uh, undercover police car. And he's like basically got like a sandwich and he's like, he's ripping at the sandwich and just the juxtaposition. First time I believe we used that word, Barry, uh, you know, of the two characters, one who's the, the drug dealer, who's leading the high life and then the cop who's in his car and he's, He's you know got crappy looking clothes and he's eating a, a sandwich or something like that and it's it's kind of an interesting uh, you know uh, the the lives of the two characters but just an amazing amazing film the car chase scene of course uh, we've as was was discussed sort of almost like a bootleg car chase scene and the fact that they did not get permits from the city and so they were basically filming this uh, on their own without permission. So a lot of the stuff you see where he's like avoiding different cars and stuff like that, that shit was going on in real time because they, you know, this was not something that, you know, they had a bunch of stuntmen doing that and that makes, it makes the car chase scene even more incredible, Barry.
1: Yeah, it does. It's, uh, it, you know, so much about the film works and, uh, I, I, I even love the ending of the film, which uh, no spoilers. What year did this come out? Was it 72? 70, was it 71. I, I think if it didn't win Best Picture, it
0: was nominated for
1: Best Picture. Yeah, and, and it would have to be. Highly recommended on my end, though, Jeff. Yeah.
0: So number one, again, Barry, here's a movie we've talked about before from 1975. My number three choice for my favorite film of all time. It is the movie that set the standard for the summer blockbuster. We are Uh-oh. talking Steven Spielberg's Jaws, Barry. I mean,
1: what do you say about this film? I think the beauty of it is uh, the world has embraced Jaws. I'm guessing that Mr. and
0: Mrs. Rose took their young son, Barry, to see the thing where the shark eats the man. Uh, uh, true? No, no.
1: Barry no. went on his own. Okay. I think Barry went on his own. I took... Geez, who did I take? Did I take Zoe or Zach to see it in the theater? But this movie plays, uh, it's available whether streaming or being broadcast on television every summer over the last several years. It has become a summer movie. I think I've seen it already three times this year. And you know what? One of my, and I, this movie is great. By the way, have you, you know the opening scene when that attractive blonde is eaten? Which you, of course you remember that. Of course. Yeah. Have, have you seen her lately? Uh, I have not. So when we're done recording, you're going to want to Google. I forget what her name is. She's in her 70s now. She has a, a rather lengthy police record as well. And uh, let's just say age and exposed sunlight has not been overly kind to her. So are you saying uh, she would have been better off actually being eaten by the shark? <laughs> I, yeah, in real life? Yeah, absolutely. She looks – boy, she looks tough. And then it was funny because – the kid, Alex uh, Kintner. No, I don't think it's Alex. It's one of the two kids who made the fake shark in the uh, in there. In the, oh, the, OK. Oh, the, those one of them here. became the police chief of the same town where the movie was filmed. He That's was a local. Funny. Yeah, which is and I, he I made was gonna, me do it. He made me do it. That, that kid. Exactly. Yeah. He made me do it. I was going to reach out to him and see if he would come on the show until I saw he was the police chief. And I was like, like yeah, I'm not going to tempt any of this shit. I don't want to, uh, you know, get involved with this, but that movie, in my opinion, is as perfect a movie as you can get. And I do think the scene where Richard Dreyfus, Roy Scheider, and Robert Shaw are sitting around the table in the boat and they're discussing various things. And then, of course, Quint goes into the USS Indianapolis and what had occurred. I think that's one of the great scenes in any film. It is mind-blowing. And just just thinking about it, I may actually watch Jaws again tonight, Jeff.
0: Absolutely riveting. So, get a load of this, Barry. The movie was made for uh, approximately 10 million dollars. It made 472 million dollars. That's a pretty nice return on your uh, on your money, what do you think? Yeah,
1: slightly, huh? <laughs> slightly. Still getting paid on it,
0: right? Uh, yes. Every day, yeah. Lost lost out in the Best Picture award to uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is a great film. And no question about it. So since you told a story uh, about uh, some of the uh, smaller, lesser-known cast members, I'll throw something out at you uh, that I saw recently. So – of course, I mentioned Alex Kentner, Alex Kintner is the kid uh, during the, uh, the beach scene who goes out. Mom, can I go out on the raft here? Look at your hands, Alex. They look like prunes. And she says, okay, but just for a little while. So he goes out there. The shark gets him. Okay. And then there's a scene later where Mrs. Kentner, uh, comes back and she's got the black veil over because she's just got, you know, done burying what's left of her son. And she goes up and she slaps the, the sheriff, uh, played by Ray Scheider. You knew they say you knew there was a shark out there and, yep. you know, and all this kind of stuff. So apparently the actress that played Mrs. Kentner had gone back there. Uh, you know, not that she's a celebrity. She goes into a restaurant and she sees on the menu. Uh, something along the lines of a, an Alex Kintner s- uh, s- special. Okay. Uh, like it's a, it's a certain kind of sandwich or something like that. It's the Alex Kentner special. So she mentions to the waiter, you know, I played Alex Kintner's mother in this movie. And the waiter goes, Oh, really? Oh, hold on one second. Goes back to the kitchen, brings out the owner and chef of the restaurant who is Alex Kentner? Get the fuck out of here. How seriously? Cra- yes. How fucking crazy. Sorry for the hand slamming, Lou. How fucking crazy is that? I I read that. That is absolutely amazing to me that they like met up fucking like almost 50 years later. How about that, Bear?
1: You know what we need to do? And I, I think you and I, I you know, fuck, if we do it for you and I, that's fine. But we need to do maybe an all Jaws episode. And we should get some guests and discuss this. And uh, I know that brother shipper William Merriweather, have you ever seen are you friends with him on Facebook? I believe I am. Yes, he has. I don't know if he's got an entire room or just part of a room that is all dedicated and decorated in Jaws memorabilia posters, stand ups, all kinds of stuff. It's his favorite movie. It's you know, and he's got all this memorabilia from it. I think, I mean, I love the idea. If we were to do an all Jaws episode, and maybe get either uh, Alex Kintner, or, uh, I'm sure the mother at this point is way dead, but yeah, maybe we can get a couple cast members too, you know, to to join us. Maybe the woman from California that was eaten in the beginning, Jeff. Yeah, now that you've spoken so nicely about her, I'm sure. Yeah, what well, can it. we, Lou? can we edit that part <laughs> where I was? Uh- <laughs> So Don't need another I Missy you, Hyatt
0: issue here, you know. I will tell you, Barry, that as we speak, I am here in the palatial new Bowdrin Family Studios and ask me what I am looking at.
1: You are looking at a Jaws poster. I am looking at my framed Jaws poster. Oh, very nice. And yes,
0: uh, the, that has come along. That will soon be mounted on the studio walls because I kept, uh, kept that one. Yeah, that's... Uh, Definitely in my wheelhouse and one of my all-time favorites. So the number one thriller from the 1970s and a future episode of Breaking k with Badger, and Barry will be the all Jaws episode yes. as we talk about nothing but freaking Jaws. So if you're one of these people there's like, eh, I do not really like Jaws that much, you're probably going to want to skip that week. Or maybe you'll come back when we discuss Jaws 3. That was done in 3D. Barry, i got a new top ten list for you Oh,
1: the movie variety.
0: Uh, before I begin, Barry, do you like uh, a good shower? Are you a shower or a
1: bath man? If baths to me are disgusting, Jeff. You're bathing in your what own What if you self. have someone with you? Oh, yeah, they're the best things ever, though. Okay, that's what I like. Yeah. And showers with somebody is also a… Yeah, I'm a shower guy, though. And i got to tell you, I take uh, little known fact here, a uh, lot of things about me, but I am clean. I take two to three showers per day, and I love my showers. Really? And you oh, go yeah. in with the, with the loofah? I <laughs> like no, the I don't have a loofah. <laughs> yes.
0: So uh, what I'm offering uh, this question for is because, courtesy again of our friends at Empire Magazine, oh, this would be the June 2007 issue. Pull this one out of the old uh, box after moving, Barry. I give you, Barry, the top ten movie shower scenes. So right off the top of your head, when you think scenes involving a shower and a movie, Without giving it away, do you have one in particular
1: in mind, mind? Of course, and it's the same one that probably most people think of. And interesting, I was just discussing that same scene with someone the other day uh driving in my car. And, you know, it took like days to film that scene. And there was something like 80 different camera angles. But for me, Jeff, as it probably is for you and a lot of people, it's the shower scene from Psycho. Okay. I said don't give it away, but. Oh, okay. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Yeah.
0: Uh-huh. We'll oh, let not, you know yeah. if that scene is in this top 10 list. So let's begin, Barry. Number 10, Barry. Now here's a movie. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know if we've ever discussed this movie before. All right. Barry Starship Troopers from 1997. Do you, first of all, have you ever seen this movie? Do you recall the shower scene? with the uh the various uh what do you call your military types where the women and the men are showering together and oh boy there are some good looking women in that shower scene there
1: I do so i this is the Casper Van Deen movie Starship Troopers and it uh, wasn't
0: Casper Van Deen i was thinking about in the shower
1: I'm no 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 it was Not who was anything wrong with that of course but yeah. yeah no no and he he was actually a good looking guy his daughter is an actress and she's on something I was just reading, but uh, yeah, I do remember uh, edibles, the scene sure
0: what are you talking about? no,
1: <laughs> possibly, but she's on either a in a movie, movie or a TV show I want to say she's in a series a, t- a television series uh I don't a streaming series in some form if I'm recalling correctly, uh but with it, I do remember the scene nineteen ninety seven is that what you said uh correct, gotcha, yeah, I do remember the scene, yeah, a great
0: uh movie that. People don't realize that it's a, a, a satire, uh, the way that it was originally written uh, by uh, Paul Verhoeven, uh, who did plenty of uh, great stuff. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, the bugs are trying to eat your brains. Uh, it's a great, uh, great sci-fi uh, action satire movie. And uh, Neil Patrick Harris, uh, before he became Barney on that, uh, what's that TV show that he was on?
1: for? How I Met Your Mother?
0: Yeah. Before he became Barney, he was in this Played a almost, uh, um Nazi-esque guy with the, uh, dark leather coat, uh, a military guy. Uh, he's very good in that too, I will say. Number nine, Barry, naked gun, 33 and a third, the final insult. It's Frank Drebin in the shower. Uh, we can't, oh, the line, we can't all be busty. Uh, you know, so, uh, Frank Drebin fan, are you, Bear? Yeah, I like Leslie Nielsen a lot. Yeah. Yeah. A great deadpan delivery. Uh, and you know, all those are, all those moves are lots of fun. Uh, the proverbial Saturday afternoon, it's raining. Oh, naked guns on. I, I know what I'm doing for the next hour. Right. Now. So number eight, Barry, this was a very, very famous scene when it came out from 1980 director Brian De Palma's breast to kill Angie Dickinson in the shower, enjoying herself quite a bit. Uh, <clears throat> if you get my drift. Of course, then we found out mm, maybe it really wasn't Angie.
1: Yeah. And I remember that, too. And I remember because Angie Dickinson, especially for our generation, she was a big name. And obviously, policewoman, she dated, I think, half of old Hollywood, still alive. Got to be what, late 80s at this point. But Angie Dickinson was a big name. And she, as you said, she's enjoying her body as she's taking the shower. But then we did Find out later that, uh, that was not really Angie Dickinson. It was a body double, but I do remember the shower scene. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the, uh,
0: self-enjoyment, uh, and gratification uh, was, oh uh, yeah. Uh, on a visceral level, uh, quite nice, actually. Uh, number seven, <clears throat> Barry. Yes. It's, uh, Ferris Bueller's day off when he's, uh, he's in the shower. He thinks, a oh. donkey chain.
1: Don Shane, darling, Don Shane. And he's using, uh, maybe a loofah as a, uh, or no, he's using the nozzle, the head nozzle of the shower as his microphone. He's got the hair up in a faux mo- mohawk, right, with soap. You know how old Matthew Broderick is, Jeff?
0: He's probably older than both of us.
1: Yeah, I think he's 61 now. Uh, he in fact would be older than both of us. Yeah, wow. which is crazy, but yeah, great scene great movie. It's I believe that's on either Netflix or Prime currently, but yeah, also an so, excellent so you, movie. You
0: bring to mind something that happened, of course, the recent events down on the southwest coast of Florida. <clears throat> Did you happen to see the picture of the newscaster, a, a young lady that was out there covering Hurricane Ian, and she had the microphone, the weather conditions were horrible. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: I think think i did i she mean i had
0: s- coverage for her microphone if you get my oh group. she had a condom over the mic yeah, yeah i saw that yeah. do and people noticed it and it was funny because someone posted oh my god look at this it's hilarious and somebody else i think that was on the crew with her posted yes absolutely that's a condom we use it to cover the microphone so the microphone won't get damaged so when the- i originally read this list barry you know you said that you thought originally uh of the shower scene from psycho and i, I completely understand why people But the one that I thought of right away, because I when I first kind of glanced at this list, I was like, holy shit, I can't believe they forgot this scene because this was an all time classic. Barry, do you remember the shower scene from Kentucky Fried Movie Catholic High School Girls in Trouble? Oh,
1: yeah, I certainly do. And that might have been that's going to come neck and neck, Jeff, with my first cinematic boob shots and it was the i think it was the, it was the dirty it was a with oh, the dirty harry movie which which one with Andrew Robinson was which dirty harry movie was that? I think that was the original dirty harry. Then that's the one I saw it. I saw it at the Sunny Isles movie theater and that movie starts off right I think right at the beginning where the guy's up on top I remember to this day. You never forget your first boobs, right? <laughs> the guy is on top of the building and he's having he's got some topless women with him. He's like a playboy or whatever it is and Scorpio Andrew Robinson kills him. I think that and, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie are probably neck and neck for first boobs I ever saw. So
0: Kentucky Fried Movie, I believe at the time, this is like the mid seventies, I want to say, was always on a double bill with the groove tube. Yes. Yes. And so, uh, but what they were, were they were essentially, uh, for those who have never seen it, they were parodies of all these. I, I remember there was a parody of like Bruce Lee movies that was, that were involved in this also. And it was like these different vignettes. And a lot of what you eventually saw, like on stuff like, uh, Saturday Night Live and Fridays were really inspired, not just by National Lampoon, but by movies like Kentucky Fried Movie. And as a matter of fact, I think some of the guys that it ended up on Saturday Night Live might have been writers on this film, but there is a scene and it's what they're doing is like fake coming attractions. Okay. And it's like, uh, the, the, there's like this, you know, the wheel spinning and it says coming soon Catholic high school girls in trouble. And you see. This guy and this girl in a shower and the girl's boobs, uh, well-soaked. Would that be fair to say, Barry? Well-soaked. Yes, well-soaked. sir. And she's pressed up against the shower door and the uh, the beautiful, bountiful breasts begin to rotate in a circular manner. And it's done as a parody. It's, and it's extremely funny. Besides, she had a, a great... Uh, I'll say that. So, Barry, at number five, going to check in with our UK listeners, right. John Lee... Uh, and the likes, uh, because I have never seen any of the carry on films, uh, that's a big series of films, uh, that were done, uh, by the Brits and I want to say like the uh, late 50s, 60s and into the 70s nineteen seventy 1972 carry on abroad. First of all, Barry, have you ever seen any of the carry on film? I've
1: never even heard of any of the carry on.
0: Films. I, I think it's, I think it's a very British centric, uh, you know, series of, of comedy films that were done. So, uh, I will, I will trust that our friend John Lee will immediately come on the, on the website, on the Facebook page and say, I w- of course, how could you have never seen the carry-on film? At number four, Barry, from 1970, director Robert Altman, this isn't a hospital, this is an insane asylum. Who said those lines, Barry? Alan Alda. No, but you're close. Know. It was Sally Kellerman and oh, All right. After they dropped the tent, flaps and you see sally kellerman in all her glory uh as she's taking a shower uh completely inappropriate of course and uh you know we we shouldn't allow that <clears throat> but it was really nice while it lasted and of course the still shots uh inevitably ended up in either playboy or penthouse or uh something like that but uh mash was a great film by the way and one of the all-time great this is a forgotten aspect of uh match which is of course an anti-war film and Uh, you know, the television show was a great television show before, before they decided to make it a drama. I'm just going to say, uh, but one of the great football scenes in movie history, uh, the football game in Mashbury was hilarious.
1: Yeah, the movie was really good. You yeah, know, the TV show, and I, I think it's widely recognized as probably top 10 greatest television shows of all time. And I don't know if it was – I think the later years, I just couldn't stomach it. And I was a kid. The earlier years were so much better. But that scene, the movie, the movie is so great. And that scene actually is tremendous as well. Yeah, and a lot of people don't remember
0: Frank Burns in the movie. Uh, of course, TV show famously played by Larry Lenville. Robert Duvall played. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, next uh, up on our list now, we're getting into the top three, Barry. At number three, the most famous shower scenes of all time in film, Barry. It's 1976. Again, director Brian De Palma's Harry. Do you remember that scene with Sissy Spacek as they're throwing the tampons at her? Plug it up.
1: Plug it up. I do, and it's that—that that is such a brutal movie to watch. It, it disturbs me every time I'm seeing. It. What's interesting about this list too, because if you said to me, "Come up with your favorite shower scenes," yeah, number one would be the movie I already mentioned, but the other nine would be purely of sexual nature. You know what I'm like? And and as I listen, oh, absolutely. But as I listen to this list, I, it's more like they're, they're not, they're not using that type of criteria. They're, they're going off of something else. But for me, I'm going, Oh yeah, shower scenes. Oh, I remember that, you know, like Porky's and I don't know if Porky's makes it, but that's a pretty good shower scene in Porky's, right? Like, you know, exactly.
0: Let's be honest. When we talk about the, uh, the top 10 shower scenes, this is not our favorite shower scenes. No, the cruelty. Uh, in the scene in Carrie that, are, that is displayed towards Sissy Spacek is unbelievable. It's just horrifying. And yeah. Certainly, quite frankly, it's something uh, – yeah, I don't think you could make it today, Barry. Because
1: no, well, did they I remake know. Carrie a few years back? They did.
0: I don't think anyone watched it. Sissy yeah. Spacek was actually nominated for an Academy Award for it. And should have been. Uh, of course, based on a Stephen King book. So number two, Barry – oh, you just referenced it, Barry. It's the shower scene – from Porky's. Seriously?
1: Yes, number two. Wow, and should be, too. And it's, look, so a lot of these shower scenes, this was, you know, you've got all these types of movies, but back in the early 80s, late 70s into early 80s, probably done by 85, there were these, teen sex comedies for lack of a better term and there was a million there was, you,
0: mean, you mean teens were having sex
1: barry is that what you're he, trying to to well yeah and they were putting young actresses when i say young 20 some are 22 but made to look as as teens and they would put them topless and bottomless and there was a movie in porky's i mean my god that scene in porky's we've got bush you know it's a uh, it's a great scene, but there was a movie called Private School, which came starred Phoebe Cates. Yes,
0: I remember that movie.
1: And there's another one in Betsy Russell, who was married to one of the Van Patten boys in later years, and she also uh had a featured role in the Saw movies. As I forget exactly what her role was, but she was topless and taking showers in this movie and soaping them up left and right. And I mean, these are really – unfortunately, I think Phoebe Cates is naked in the movie, but you know it's not her. It's a body double, but I'm not sure if they actually – if she even attempted that. I'm trying to
0: remember the the movie you just said, Private School. Was that the one that had Sylvia Crystal? Yes, certainly was. Sylvia Crystal, of course, most famous for?
1: Emmanuel. Thank you.
0: Yeah, New York, in, uh, I don't know,
1: and In London, and
0: Bangkok. <laughs> that and Emmanuel, she got around, boy. She was, fucking got around. Staple but... of every Cinemax Friday night where the Emmanuel movies, <laughs> and that's
1: it. It's just, if you remember the Cinemax for years with Cinemax, they were all based off these teen sex comedies. Yeah. Or so there's a reason the they were called Skinemax. You know, yeah, exactly. But yeah, you know, the the plot wasn't much. You could figure it out. That movie, The Private movies School, weren't though, even in English. But who fucking cared? Who cared? Didn't when you're seventeen or whatever, and you're getting what you're getting. Of course, yeah. but Sylvia Cristal, Phoebe Cates, an actress named Kathleen Wilhoit, who was also in Road. The girl who plays Phoebe kates's best friend was the female bartender in Roadhouse. Uh, Everything goes back to Roadhouse. <laughs> it does. And I should say, Jeff, I'll, I was going to kayfabe. I reached out to her about three weeks ago to come on the podcast, and she saw the message and did not respond. So I'm assuming that's a no. How dare her. How dare her. But uh, just a fun movie, and, uh, yeah, it just a really good movie. But back to the Porkies. that Porky scene is every teen boy's dream. For Antonio Benji in a couple of years, maybe I think he's 13 now, but uh, 13, 14, 15, how old's Benji? I mean, how old's Benji? How old's Antonio?
0: Uh, I think, uh, Antonio could be, uh, shown porkies, just not with his mom around.
1: Because yes, that he's would now be. Not at the
0: age where he would enjoy porkies, trust All me. All right. At number one, Barry, the previously discussed Janet Lee scene in Psycho, which was incredibly revolutionary at the time, Barry, needless to say.
1: It was. And like I mentioned, I, I, uh, I was having a discussion about this about especially about this scene the other day and i remember reading it took them several days or weeks to film it and there was something i want to say it was like 84 or 85 different camera angles and if you it knowing that if you go back and watch that scene which is really a brief scene to begin with that just shows you how great of a director Alfred Hitchcock was. And it's, uh, I, I think it's, it's probably one of the most iconic scenes in the history of film. I think, but I think when you think of, of Alfred Hitchcock, I think for most people, they probably go right to the shower scene from Psycho.
0: So I want to just read you what they wrote here in Empire magazine about this scene. Uh, let's get it straight. You, uh, you neither see stabbing nor nipples. You just think you do. Cinema's greatest death scenes, uh, death scene is also its depthest. Edited to 50 cuts and an unknown number of angles to deflect the stern production code. Oh, that hitch was a crafty bugger. Not only did he understand that turning a beautiful blonde into a pen cushion while taking a shower, bathrooms are like so Freudian, would get audiences going, but also that removing your leading lady 25 minutes into the proceedings would throw them into a tailspin. So let's talk about that. Here you have Janet Lee, who was a pretty big star at the time. Yep. Uh, and 25 minutes into the movie, boom, she's out. She's gone. That was kind of an interesting choice.
1: It definitely was. And again, you know, it, it's, uh, at the time I, I have a feeling it probably caused some sort of uproar in hindsight. You can look at it and said, wow, he really knew what he was doing as well. But yeah, it's, I think, you know, Hitchcock, you know, to me, making a great movie and, and I think Hitchcock really had that gift. You know, I, I think some people can make great movies, but he had a vision. He had a gift. And I think it's one of those things that. You're, it's kind of like a great artist. I, I think you can take all the art classes you want. You can take all the painting classes you want, but you'll only progress to where you are. And I think Hitchcock's mind was able to come up with something like this. That That's just a great filmmaker.
0: Yeah, and, you know, besides the, you know, iconic performance by Anthony Perkins, a lot of great characters. Simon Oakland yes, uh, from uh, Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Uh, Tony Vincenzo, uh he was in that movie. Martin Balsam was in that movie. So many just great character actors involved in this because great a- actors and actresses wanted to work with Hitch yep. because he had such an incredible reputation. And because I watched uh, the movie Psycho, and you know, amazingly for someone who's as big a fan of Hitchcock as I am, I really only saw the entirety of Psycho. I want to say within like the last six to nine months, Barry. I had never, I took huh. bits and pieces of it. Had never watched the thing all the way through. But let's remember that closing scene with Norman Bates sitting in the uh, padded room. Oh yeah, uh, narrating, and he says uh, in his mother's voice, "Oh, that Norman, he wouldn't hurt a fly." Barry, as we round the turn, we're heading for home. Another jam-packed, thrill-inducing episode of Breaking k with and Barry. Have you enjoyed
1: yourself? This has been. The most fun I think I have had, cause there were a couple of things, I, I was irritated when we started recording, which is all based off of, uh, that Fan fest that's, uh, or whatever it is that, that convention. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, this was a lot of fun to me today. I feel spirited. I feel like I've got some energy and I like it.
0: And as the time we are re- uh, releasing this episode, or I should say, uh, you know, our man Lou is releasing this episode. You're going to be out of town, aren't you, Mr. Michigan?
1: I am, I'm so, I, so I, I think I was in Detroit, shit, 50 years ago. It, it, it was definitely, I don't think I was even, the heyday yet. of the sheik and I didn't go to wrestling. How mad am I about that? My, my parents will take me to see the exorcist as a young child, <laughs> but not the sheik, but they won't take me to see the sheik. So, uh, I was in Detroit, but I'm in, I guess, what's a suburb of Detroit, uh, and it's called Troy, Michigan. I'll be there for a few days and I reached out through the brothershippers. There is a Culver's, I believe it is within three and a half miles. There is a Portillo's, which is about, uh, 10 miles. And then I was told I have to go to a place called Buddy's, which is Detroit style pizza. Jeff, have you ever had Detroit style pizza? Uh, I know about
0: this, uh, other than like, uh, some <coughs> chain offerings of Detroit style pizza. Right all i'm going to say but i've never uh, had buddies so i will expect a review next episode mr rose so that being said on behalf of our producer sweet lou kippelman city by the bay scam likely you know all the different euphemisms and mr soon to be in michigan barry rose i will remind you that i am jeff bowder and we are very i'm checking my watch we're getting pretty close to loots, my man
1: yeah we are we're right around the corner i'll tell you what i am so looking forward to this this one too All right, and I
0: will say
1: to all of you, and especially
0: to one particular...